Hey, you found us. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast. I'm Ben Glickspin alongside my tag team partner, Matt Story. And Matt, last time we talked, everything was looking down. This time, everything for ASU is shiny and rosy, or at least potentially shiny and rosy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's, uh, no guarantees, but, you know, yeah, it, it was exciting news last night that broke. So we are probably late to the party on this. I know Doug Haller's podcast actually previewed the idea that he could come, but Blake Barnett, who was a five-star recruit out of California who went to Alabama, uh, left Alabama after week four this year when he got beaten out by Jalen Hurts for the right. job, announced yesterday on Twitter that he's co- that he is committed to the Sun Devils. Yeah, I, I'm... I'm very surprised. I mean, we I, I sent you, I think, a tweet last week that said he was coming to visit. Um, I didn't really think that there was any chance that he'd go here. Um, you know, you, you heard you heard Oregon you know, for him. You heard UCLA. He's a California kid. You know, you heard that possibility that he'd go there and, you know, kind of be the heir apparent to Rosen. Um, so it's, it's a coup. Uh, you know what? Whether or not he he lives up to the billing is a different story. But for just in the moment, we talk about this in recruiting a lot. It's a coup when you when you get the guy that a lot of other schools wanted, and he was in demand. You know, I mean, every every program that you know didn't have a young good quarterback already was probably at least putting out feelers for him. And um, you know, you and I talked about him when he left Alabama, and never did I think we had a chance to get him. So it's it's a good feeling to think that we we are getting him. He took an official to Washington State the yeah. weekend before he came to us. He so Thanksgiving weekend he went to the Palouse and then mm-hmm. last weekend December 2nd he took his official to ASU and the official ended Todd Graham celebrating his birthday. He goes to visit Blake Barnett cuz that's what you do on your 52nd right. birthday apparently. Well, when you're a football coach, you do, yeah. <laughs> and it was, uh, I, I also think it was interesting, one thing that we'll, you know, we'll finish rounding out the quarterback conversation, yeah. but the people who were present at yeah. Barnett's house for this, besides his family, were Todd Graham, Chip Lindsey, and uh, Norvell, Jay, Jay Norvell. Norvell. Yeah. And yeah. Jay Norvell's apparently interviewing for the Nevada job. Chip Lindsey is apparently getting feelers, at least, about right. A job in Georgia, Georgia State, yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I thought that was interesting too. Definitely, I mean, you know, you never know with coaches. You it's know, reminiscent. Yeah. It's reminiscent of this time last year when Mike Norvell was in a photo <laughs> with DSC yep. in Houston, and the next day he was in Memphis finalizing yep. his deal. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean those guys are staying around. Um, you know, look, if you got a chance to be a head coach. Uh, either one of them, you know, you have to take that opportunity if if you think it's right. You can't begrudge a guy an opportunity to to you know run his own program. But um, you know, for from a from a selfish standpoint, <clears throat> I'm hoping at the very least that that Chip Lindsey stays around because, as we discussed throughout the season, when a lot of things were falling apart, the offensive schemes were were one thing that you could you know you could look. Uh, happily upon and there wasn't a lot to look happily upon over the second half of the season um but you know the offense was always pretty good in spite of a ton of injuries uh it it was pretty good and so i you know you hate to see him go after one year but he might have that opportunity 
Well, he almost left last year, remember? He came to ASU to coach the bowl game from Southern Miss. Just a lateral move as a coordinator. Right. Southern Miss, rumors say that he was offered the job. Um, Certainly, it appeared that if he wanted the job, he could have taken it. But he decided to come back. He earned himself a nice little bonus for loyalty. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, he's young, and I feel like he's going to be able to pick his spot much like Norvell, there were opportunities for Norvell to leave before he picked Memphis, but he found himself right. with a with a good program on the rise. I'm not sure you can say that about uh, going to Georgia State. I mean, it's it's a uh, you know it's a program that has, has kind of made just a couple of waves lately because I, I believe they're the program that bought Turner Field and they're going to renovate Turner Field and make it into their own stadium and they're in Atlanta and you know so there's there's kind of a little bit of a of a feel like hey maybe you know you watch for them but but yeah i mean certainly going to memphis i think was a a much better spot norvell waited it out and got a pretty good program and you saw you know had a pretty good season in his first year um well i'm and, not and I, you know i'm not yeah. sure that that southern miss job isn't better than georgia oh, State. I th- oh i think for sure it is yeah i i think uh you know i, I mean at least right now southern miss is a program that's you know been a pretty good program for most of the last you know 20 years um you know they had a they had a little bit of a downswing um just in the last you know maybe three or four years I think they had a winless season or something like that which was so out of out of the norm for them um but they had you know gotten it back together and I I think their head coach went to Tampa Bay to be the offensive coordinator didn't he that's why they had the opening I think he went with Dirk um so uh, you know wasn't like he got fired they were doing well and yeah, I think that would have been a better opportunity. But, you know, at some point, beggars can't be choosers. I know that he he didn't use this exact analogy, but the, the thought during Haller's podcast was maybe it's a little bit of uh, rats leaving the sinking ship, and yeah. he's got to look out for his own interests because, you know, being tied to Graham might not be the best thing in the world sure, right now. Sure, No, I, you know, and I, I thought the same. Now, you know... At, as we as we just said, and it doesn't change everything, but it, it does change the feel getting Barnett. You know, I mean, in in one fell swoop, it kind of kind of just changes your mindset a little bit. Uh, like you know, hey, we we got this kid who was in demand. Um, you know, does it does it fix all of our problems? No, I mean he he doesn't play corner or safety or linebacker or defensive end or defensive tackle. So we still got a lot of problems on that side of the ball that need fixed, but, but it is, it's exciting, you know, and, and it, it and it kind of does change the, change the feel around the program from one that, oh boy, you know, the head coach is in trouble and you struggled this year after struggling last year. Now you, now you've got reason for hope and that's, you know, that's really all you can ask for after a five and seven season is to give some hope. And last night's news kind of did a little bit of that. Now, Barnett cannot play the first four games unless somehow the NCAA grants him a waiver, which I think is incredibly doubtful. I'd be surprised, yeah. So somebody is going to have to take snaps. Now, maybe that's just going to be Bellage and we'll just play Sparky (laughs) for four straight weeks. Yeah, I mean, it'll be awkward. You know, you don't usually have a a quarterback, uh, you know, that that if he's going to be the starter. And I don't don't think that's a given just yet, you know. I mean, I'm sure they're going to say all the right things that, you know, the job will be open for competition, but, you know, who's going to be competing with him in the spring and, and summer and, you know, fall practices? That is a is an interesting question that we don't have the answer to yet. Now, the Twitter reaction 
of the various quarterbacks is interesting. So Manny Wilkins, when it got announced, tweeted, and I'm going to say this is a joke. I've thought about it more. Yeah. But he he tweeted in all caps, OMG, the sky is falling. Yeah. And then Uh, that was... Followed by, I believe, you know, some emojis that made you think... It looked like the laugh face, I assume. As we discussed via text earlier today, trying to read into what college kids put on their Twitter is really hard to do. Uh, And I don't know that either one of us is, is, you know, young enough to maybe quite understand it. But, um, yeah, you know, if anybody is going to be doubting their spot, it's got to be him. Um, I mean, he was the starter this year. He's the guy who started, what, 10 games, I think it was. Um, and, and, uh, you know, he's now going to be, he's going to be a redshirt junior going into next year. Barnett's a redshirt sophomore. You go get Barnett to me. That really tells me that this coaching staff wasn't sold on Manny being the guy for the next two years. Um, and I'm not saying they should have been, but you know, of, of all the guys that I think have to be kind of thinking, huh, where does it leave me? He's got to be a top of the list. Now, the next quarterback was DSC tweeted after that. He retweeted what Manny tweeted and then put three fa- three emojis of faces thinking. Yeah. You know. The- yeah. <laughs> right, right. Now. <laughs> Once again, uh, hard to interpret, but, uh, you know, that's all we can do. Today he tweeted a picture of himself in, in his jersey from the Oregon game with to be continued. Yeah, and okay. and he tweeted a hashtag, and I'm gonna say it's quince, but it might be quince, the the mm. the fruit or whatever from White Men Can't Jump. Right, I don't know, yeah. but I, yeah. I'm gonna say it's quince. I think it's his okay. number. Okay, okay, okay. Unfortunately, Twitter doesn't let me know that. It doesn't. No, no. But uh, you know, I I think in his position and. You know, again, you start talking about years of eligibility. I know he'd be a sophomore next year, but depending on who else is back, you could use the red shirt on him next year. We talked about that during the season. Like, just because he didn't redshirt this year doesn't mean you can never do it. Um, and and you saw that he, you know, he had a learning curve. So I don't know what it, you know. Obviously, it's always hard to to know where a kid's head is. But to me, you know, I think I think him and Ryan Kelly are commit shouldn't really be swayed by this that much because look, if, if Blake Barnett's really that good, if he's that good, he might only be here two years. You know, I mean, it, you know, he's, he's a guy who was very highly touted. You know, I know he's going to be a sophomore next year, but uh, you know, let's say he's really that good. He's probably going to go to the NFL. And if he's not that good, well, that gives you an opportunity to, to beat him out for the job. It happened in Alabama. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, the Alabama thing, I, you know, I, I mean, you can, you can look at it. Obviously, if you if you want to look at it from the negative standpoint, you can. Well, he, he struggled in the first game, um, you know, and and they put in Jalen Hurts, and things worked better with him. Uh, sure, and you can criticize him if you want for you know leaving midseason, um, but you know that's the way it is. Guys, guys are out for their own opportunity and that, that gives him the chance to play next year. If he'd stuck it out all year, you know, he'd have an sec title ring and he might get a national title ring, but he got those from last year too. So he's already got one of each. Um, and now he's got an opportunity to play at his chosen school, which happens to be ASU 
in 2017, which, you know, otherwise he would have had to sit out. One thing that is interesting to me about Barnett compared to Hertz and, and how it plays for ASU, offensively, I think you, it's safe to say our biggest question mark going into next season is the same that was our biggest struggle during the season, offensive line play. Right. And Hertz was a much more mobile, dual-threat quarterback Barnett, from what I remember, is more of just a straight drop back pocket passer. A little bit. Now, you know, it's always hard with these high school recruit rankings because Ryan Kelly's a great example. One service has him listed as a dual threat quarterback, another has him listed as a pocket passer. Which one is he? I don't know. Um, Barnett was the same way. You know, I think, I think, you know, I, don't, I can't remember which one, but somebody had Barnett as the top dual threat quarterback coming out of high school. So I, you know, based on that, I don't think he's uh, Jalen Hurts or Lamar Jackson or a guy like that where you're gonna you're gonna call you know ten fifteen runs for him a game. But I think he can move around well enough, and that's really what this offense needs is is somebody who who brings the threat. They don't, you know. I mean, it, it's it's still an offense that wants to throw the ball, and so you need somebody who can move, who can be a threat running and. You know, he didn't really play enough to know at Alabama. I mean, he only played, I think, in three games total. You know, he only got, I think, maybe two or three series against uh, uh, USC, and then they pulled him. And then he came back in at the end, but by that point, the game was decided. So, you know, you, you didn't really see enough to know how he can move in games. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting because the, the Sun Devils – offense really wasn't the problem and the big splashes in in recruiting between Barnett and Kelly have been not just offensive but on at one position so right right yeah I mean it's it's a surprise Uh, you know it's a surprise that we got him and honestly I'm surprised that that we pursued him I you know we talked a lot last offseason when the season ended that I thought we'd be a prime candidate for a grad transfer we never really got in on one apparently we were Somewhat in on Ryan Finley. Is it Ryan Finley who yeah. ended up going to NC State? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, but but that never really progressed to the point of, of a serious thing. And, I, you know, I never really heard us get in on anybody else. Now, we don't know what was going on behind the scenes, obviously, but um, didn't happen. And last year it made a lot of sense because we had no returning experience at quarterback. This year I didn't really expect it. I mean, I, we talked about Manny as the season wound down. And I, I thought, you know, I thought he'd done enough to go in as the leader, not guaranteed the job by any means, but at, at least, you know, be the default guy. And you see, you know, if, if if Brady White could come back and play, who knows if Bryce Perkins could come back and play. Those are questions. But, you know, you see what the two younger kids could do. And I kind of thought that that was a position we'd be content at. Obviously not. And that's why I say. You know, if you're Manny Wilkins, this this tells you that the coaching staff isn't really buying in that you're the guy for the next two years. Because um, if they were, they would have never really pursued this kid. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that if you're Manny, you need one of two things to happen. You either need to be Burko yeah. and just love the school. Sure. Or you need to believe in yourself so much that you think that I don't care that they recruited him and yeah. that was after seeing me play 10 games, uh, you know, injured, right. certainly, but played 10 right. games. Or 
you have to look elsewhere. If you, oh, you think, go out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, if you think that you're a quarterback capable of playing high-level Division One football, you have to leave. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. And, uh, and, and I, I think, and I think that's also true for Perkins, who's kind of the lost man in the shuffle. Yes, yes. I mean, it it wouldn't totally shock me as we sit here right now if you know all three of the guys who were battling for the job last fall are not on the roster this fall. Um, uh, you know, I I think each individual circumstance it makes a lot of sense for them to go elsewhere. Certainly, we just we just made the point for Manny. Um, you know, Perkins, apparently they were asking him to change positions before he got hurt. Um, we also don't know about his health status. Uh, you know, he's, he's out of the neck brace, but can he play football? Um, and Brady White, same deal. You know, he had the, the major foot injury, obviously, that's supposed to keep him out for a long period of time. But if he's going to go somewhere, you know, maybe you, you, you know, you look for another opportunity, you sit out while your foot heals next year and you can compete for a starting job somewhere in, in 18. Uh, so, I mean, it, I don't know that all three of them will go, but, it, it, you know, looking at it individually sure wouldn't surprise me if all of them do. I mean, the fear, if all of them go, is who starts four games for ASU? I, I guess it would be Sterling Cole, you'd expect. I mean, uh, you know, I think. And then and then you hold his red shirt again, so he'll be a red shirt. I guess. Soft. He'll I mean, be a red I, I don't shirt, know. you know, going into his yeah. junior year. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, you could. You could. I mean, uh, you know, uh, an extreme example of that, I think, wasn't it um, Matt Scott at Arizona? Red shirted what would have been his senior year and then mm-hmm. came back and started, the you know, his last year there after Foles left. So you could do it at any point. Um, it's a little unusual, obviously the, the later a guy's career, you know, you don't usually see a, an elected red shirt, but you know, possibly, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's a lot of unknown about this. Uh, and, and that's, you know, I guess that goes along with it being so surprising because, you know, well, I don't think either one of us really was expecting this. So now it's like, you try to, you try to fill in all the pieces that you don't know. Well, and, and if you take this to its extreme, and let's say you lose White, Perkins, and Manny. Yeah. And Barnett can't play the first four games. If DSC gets hurt, then you have to pull the red shirt off of right. Kelly. Which, right. you know, right. puts you in the same boat as you were in this season. Right, right, yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, for now, what it is is exciting news that got a lot of questions to still be filled in. I think, you know, obviously by by March when spring practice starts, you hope that you've got a little bit of, of, uh, you know, an, an idea of what you're going to do. You know, guys have made decisions for their own futures. Now that doesn't guarantee somebody won't transfer after spring. Um, but you know, you, you, you got to figure that out now because yeah, you got to have a plan for the first four games. I mean, uh, you know, we don't know the, the PAC 12 schedule yet, but you do have a trip to Texas tech in there. So it's, it's not like it's a cupcake opening to the season, um, and you're going to have your, your conference opener probably you know, in week four as well, unless you happen to get a bye there, which is unlikely. So in all likelihood, you're going to have at least two tough games there. So you, you know, it's not like you can say, well, everything will be fine once we get Blake Barnett. Uh, you, know, you, you, can't, you can't start you know, two and two or one and three and expect to right the ship then. Yeah, well, and if you're Todd Graham, you know, the – the people are coming with pitchforks right now for you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a pressurized year for him. So yeah. Uh, you know, again, a lot of unknowns, a lot of, uh, 
you know, if we're putting the puzzle together, we got a lot of pieces. We haven't quite figured out where they go. Um, but this is, a, you know, you got that one big piece that you didn't think you had. Um, and I mean, it is, it's, it's exciting. Again, I don't know how good the kid's going to be. Um, but I will give you this. I'll just, I'll just leave you with this little morsel. There was a highly touted quarterback who went to a traditional power. He got beat out by a true freshman. He left that traditional power and he went to the Pac-10. You know who that guy was? Is it Troy Aikman? It's Troy Aikman. So that's high end. I don't, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't know that he's going to be that good, but it does work out sometimes. So, you know, for all the naysayers who will say, well, he got beat out at Alabama, you know, well, okay, yes, he did, but it works out at times. Yeah, and, and my final thought is more on the recruiting end. Look, it doesn't have to make sense. It's a splashy guy to get in recruiting on a, you know, on a down year where yeah. recruiting has been slow to get this guy before the bowl season starts when you can, you know, if nothing else, your coaches have a lot more time freed up to talk to recruits sure. and plan sure. their recruiting. Now you have a, a guy who can, you know, open some doors. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, he was, uh, I think we, we talked about it preseason when Alabama hadn't named a starter and. You know, and I, I mean, I remember he and Josh Rosen were kind of the one and two in that class, um, you know, and Rosen won the job. And, and what I remember, too, is Barnett really pushed for that job as a true freshman last year when Jake Coker ended up winning it. He was the sensation. He was the guy everybody wanted. Um, and, and, you know, up until late August, he was in the mix and they decided to end up going with Coker and they redshirted him. Um, but you know, he was, he was an impressive guy there. And I think they just, they fell in love with the talent of Jalen Hurts and what he can do. And obviously you, you see why, um, I mean, he's been very good and he gives them a, a, an element that they haven't had. Um, but that doesn't mean that it can't work out for this kid at another place. I mean, there's always, you always wonder when a guy leaves his first place, what's wrong. And maybe 80% of the time something is wrong and you don't get what you wanted out of the kid but that means 20 percent of the time maybe you you just got a tremendous break the downside of where asu's at right now is that we're not playing for a bowl but pretty yeah. much everybody else is <laughs> yeah yeah so we're gonna go through we're not gonna do our official picks for any of the big games because we're gonna have to fill a lot of this right. before recruiting right. And part of that's going to be talking about these big games. Right. But there are plenty of interesting games up and down the bowl picture. It kicks off with five games on December 17th, which is, I think, a record for opening day. Because usually my recollection is it was always just the New Mexico Bowl and then we'd fill in the rest. The Vegas Bowl has always, or the last couple years at least, has been on that opening day. And I know it is again. Um, Yeah, you know, now it's it's five games that none of which are overly exciting. Houston and San Diego state is a moderately interesting matchup. Um, you know, you got Greg Ward, you got Danelle Pumphrey, you know, you got, got some recognizable names, but Houston obviously without their coach. Uh, so it kind of loses a little bit of the appeal. Yeah. And again, just worth noting, New Mexico plays in the New Mexico bowl. That's yeah. their version of the, the purpose behind the Fiesta bowl, which was supposed right. to be a vehicle for ASU to get to That's play. That's right. Or Arizona, you know, taking the copper bowl bid a few times there early on. Yeah. It's, it's uh it's a tried and true formula. 
on uh, on the twentieth in the Boca Raton Bowl, you've got Mike Norvell's bowl debut. Yes, sir. As the Tigers take on the Memphis Tigers take on Western Kentucky. The Hilltoppers ten and three this year could be kind of an interesting, fun game. Yeah, I think it will be. I mean, you know, they they lose their coach too. He goes to Purdue, which I, you know, incidentally think is a very good hire for Purdue to kind of get back to the wide open offense days of Joe Tiller and Drew Brees. Uh, you know, Brom will, Brom will bring that to them. But yeah, Western Kentucky's been good, and, and Memphis can put up a lot of points. We saw that against Houston, so should be one of those games you'd expect to, you know, both teams in the forties and you know, last possession wins type of game. Absolutely. You've got uh, some other games that week, BYU-Wyoming in the Poinsettia Bowl, Idaho-Colorado State in the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. Yep, yep. Which, any any Idaho Bowl, I think, is a good bowl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That used to be the home of Boise before they got really good. They'd go to, the, to their own bowl game, uh, which back then was called the Humanitarian Bowl. I think it's the same game. The Crucial.com um, Humanitarian yes, Bowl. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, now Boise has uh, moved up the ranks, obviously, and in fact is coming back to Phoenix, site of a couple of their major triumphs, although not in the same stadium. They'll be at the at uh, Chase Field, but back to Arizona where they you know, have had some great moments before. Yeah, they take on Baylor in the Cactus Bowl. Baylor just hired uh, Matt Rule, yeah. the Temple coach, who really, I think, put himself on the map last year when Temple beat Penn State and yeah. and never looked back. No, I know. I mean, they, they went into late October undefeated, I think, last year, and this year got off to a slow start, and he, you know, he got them back on track. They end up winning the American in the title game there. Temple wound up, uh, they were 24th in the final poll. They're taking on Wake Forest in the Military Bowl yeah. after Christmas. Yep. But a couple more interesting pre-Christmas games. You've got Louisiana Tech versus Navy. This feels to me, I mean, Navy takes on Army this week. Yeah. And, and I think it's good for Navy that they have this game to have their kind of let down before the bowl because when, when, uh, Western Michigan got that win and made yeah. it a uh, perfect season. That took away really any chance of Navy being the group of five team, I think. Yeah, and boy, they just got they just got boat raced in that game by Temple. Uh, I mean, yeah. you know, Navy is is not a team that's built to come from, you know, two or three touchdowns behind like so many teams are now in college. You get a you know, you get a 21-point lead and you think, "Well, it's not not safe because this team can throw it 70 times." That's not Navy. So, I mean, once that game was 21 nothing in the first quarter, it was pretty much over. Then, you know, other, you know, some other of the minor games that could be fun to watch. You know, we touched on Boise State before Boise State Baylor in the Cactus Bowl. Arizona kind of becoming like a a mini Florida with the number of bowl games we have. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's a reason, you know, uh, uh, teams are never upset. I mean, if you're from if you're from Boise. Not so bad to come to Phoenix for a few days in in the you know late December. Uh, you know you'll you'll take that opportunity. Absolutely. the The first real important Pac-12 game I think is Utah against Indiana in the Russell Athletic Bowl, and it's important because if you're like me and you're a Pac-12 homer, you need this game. You <laughs> yeah, can't... they should win this game. Yeah, yeah. I mean in, Indiana is. Uh... You know, coming in not only a six and six, you know, fairly weak team, but with the head coaching turnover and uh, you know a lot of a lot of just unrest there, um, that that feels like it should be a Utah win pretty easily. Uh, you know, they 
they show up motivated, they should win that game without much trouble. The pinstripe bowl, West Virginia against Miami. Miami finished the year eight and four. And I think our first official podcast, I said, I'm not in on no. Brad Kaya. You know what? I'm still not in on Brad Kaya. No, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I said to you then, and I, I remember talking to you when you were here in October, and they, that was the day they were playing Florida State. And at that point, I think they were undefeated um, and had gotten into the top 10. And, and they had a stretch there in October, I think, with Florida State, North Carolina, Virginia Tech, and Notre Dame. And, it, like, you know, that was a stretch for him to kind of show he could win big games, and they went 0-4 in that stretch. Um, so they had a solid season. Uh, but uh, it was uh, it was nothing special, and so to me, he he reminds me a lot of Jared Goff last year. Jay uh, Cutler, that's just, the Jay Cutler Memorial yeah, draft. Where pick. you just you know it's like you know I want to see somebody do something memorable in college. And it doesn't have to be a national championship or a conference title or win the Heisman. I'm not saying that, but you know something. If you're going to take a guy in the first round, I want to be able to say, well, yeah, I remember when when he, you know, he won that game or he won that title or he had that comeback drive, you know, and, and with Jared Goff, I didn't really have that. And Brad Kaya, if he goes pro, which I think he probably will, um, I don't have that with him either. So, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a unfulfilled career, it seems like, for him. For all the hype he got, never really delivered much. I want to talk about one of my favorite bowl games. The St. Petersburg Bowl features yeah. a six and six team against a five and seven team. Yeah, that's right, Mississippi State. Yeah, it's uh, it's what we it's what we come to expect as sports yeah. fans. Yeah, not only a six and six team, but one that started the year zero and six, and rallied to win their last six games. And I think you know when you get into having a combined record of under five hundred for your bowl. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It might be time to. Games. It might be time to to scale back. Now I know Tucson yeah. just got a bowl. I don't want to take it away from Tucson, obviously. Yeah, but somebody needs to lose a bowl. Has that riveting Air Force South Alabama matchup down there? Yeah, I mean, as you're going through these, and you know, there's there's some good matchups. You know, later on in the in the post Christmas window, and certainly the you know New Year's Eve, and then January second, there's some very good games. Um, but there's a lot of games that just, you know, it's, it's like you were, you know, would you watch Appalachian state and Toledo on any normal Saturday? No, not a chance for me, you know, and, and yet they're playing in a bowl. So you're supposed to care. Like, not really. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's the first day of bowl games and so I might turn it on, but it's hard for me to get too motivated for those games. I think, uh, you know, as far as good games, on the 27th, you've got Minnesota-Washington State. I'm curious about that. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I I would certainly, uh, you know, although we won't do picks, I'm going to show you my leans. I think that's a great opportunity for Washington State. They should win that game. To me, that's a lot like Utah. You know, they're, they're a much better team, I think. Yeah, I, I am always a, a little bullish on the Pac-12, and, and this year's no exception, except yeah. for, I will tell you, as much as I want Washington, and I will root hard for Washington, yeah, I think that's I'm a loss. I mean, I think so too. Yeah, yeah, and we can talk about that more when we get there. But yeah, most exciting non-playoff Pac-12 game for me is e- is a toss-up. It's either Colorado, Oklahoma State, and the Alamo mm-hmm. Bowl, which I think is because of potential to be a great game. It does. I agree. Or USC, Penn State, and the Rose Bowl. 
Uh, yeah, I was going to say to me, it's USC Penn State. I think that's that's a really fun game. Um, like we talked about for a couple weeks with USC and Colorado, uh, you know, it's it's a little it's a little unfair to say this. Um, and if I was a Colorado fan, I'd hate I'd hate it. But USC is just a sexier pick for the Rose Bowl, and so given the choice between the two, uh, you know, and, and obviously Penn State's a traditional program that was right there on the verge of making the playoff and. Uh, yeah, that should be a really fun game. I'm excited for that. Look, it's Pac-12, Big Ten. It's the Rose yeah. Bowl. Yeah, yeah. It's you know, it's that that late afternoon kickoff window where it's you know sunny at kickoff and then it's dark by by the end of the game. And I mean, that's you know that's what the that's what the Rose Bowl is all about. And quite honestly, USC being there just makes it a little more interesting. Uh, you know, if it's for me, if it's not going to be ASU, seeing USC in the Rose Bowl is always kind of cool. I agree. And it, again, as a homer for the conference, that's what you want to see. You you want yeah. to see I, – I like Colorado. I think Colorado's got sure. a, a really good chance in their bowl game against Oklahoma State. Yeah. But I think USC can beat Penn State, and I'm not sure Colorado can beat Penn State. I do too. I, I mean, I, I will tell you, I think I think the Rose Bowl and the Orange Bowl, they're, they're similar matchups of, you know, you've got the Penn State and Michigan who are both – right there just missed out on being in the playoff and you got them facing teams that kind of got off to bumpy starts lost their chance to win a national title early on in the season but they've been playing great the second half and I mean to me those are those are fascinating matchups to see you know just kind of how the mentality is for those teams because I I mean USC and Florida State to me are playing about as well as anybody who aren't in the playoff I mean, if you uh, they, had a, they just got off to a tough start, and it kind of cost them there, you know. If you had a sixteen-team bracket, Florida State and USC would be in. Yeah, and I wouldn't think you're crazy if you had them upsetting. I mean, making a run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I don't think either team could could win a national championship. But you know, you never know with matchups. Obviously, I mean, if somebody else knocked off Alabama, you're you're. It sounds insane to say USC could beat Alabama when we saw them on the same field, you know, at the start of the year. But I will say USC is a much, much different team than they were then, starting with quarterback, obviously, um, and just in general, they're playing so much better. And and Florida State is the same way. To me, Florida State, you know, without without going too far into the future, they're on a very, very short list for me as a as a national championship contender next year. They've they've rounded into form. They got a young quarterback, a lot of young talent that played this year, and I'm I'm really high on them going into seventeen. I I don't begrudge you that at all. I will I will get back on the Georgia bandwagon next season. I, no, I'm I, I'm not off the Georgia bandwagon. You know Jacob Eason has my heart, but uh so does Florida State. You know, I've been a I've been a Seminole fan back to the days of Charlie Ward, so you know I'm I'm a little biased. But watching them all year, and I'll also admit watching that Showtime show series about them all year, uh, you know, has me very excited for what they could do next year. I want to run through just the teams playing on December 30th because, as you noted earlier, one of these things is not like the other. Yeah, Liberty Bowl, Georgia TCU, Sun Bowl, Stanford, North Carolina, Music City Bowl, Nebraska, Tennessee. Orange Bowl, we just talked about. Yeah. And then you get the Tucson Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think uh, there won't be a lot of eyeballs on that one. Because, um, yeah, those are some those are some good matchups on that day. I, I mean, obviously, I, you know, to me, Michigan-Florida State is 
as exciting a non-playoff game as there is. I mean, when when Louisville lost to Kentucky, and, and it kind of looked like Florida State might pass them in the rankings, I remember thinking, you know, then like, boy, if Michigan doesn't make the playoff, they go to the Orange Bowl, that'd be a heck of a game, and that matchup ended up happening. Um, that's a great game. Nebraska-Tennessee, you know, programs that, that both had higher hopes for this year, but certainly traditional powers, uh, you know, fun to see them play. Um, Georgia TCU, you know, uh, again, two programs that thought they'd probably be in better spots this year than they are, but a fun game. And, and was it Stanford, North Carolina is the other one? Yeah. In the yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good game too. I mean, Stanford's a team that after going through that lull mid season, they, they turned it on and ended up nine and three for, a, for a year that, you know, we kind of, Thought, oh, going to be a terrible year for for Stanford. Nine and three, not too bad. Yeah, and the Arizona Bowl, South Alabama Air Force. It, it is yeah. what it is. You, you know, yeah, when you're a brand yeah. new bowl game, this is what you do, and that's what you're going to get. Yeah, yeah. I mean, an Air Force is is always kind of a, an interesting draw. I mean, it's certainly what it is is better than last year when they had a conference game. Yeah. You know, so at least it's a step in the right direction. Well, and also getting Air Force when you are a city next to an Air Force base. Sure. It's pretty sure. good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a fun team to see. Uh, you know, seeing seeing any of the three service academies is always kind of fun. Just, you know, brings a different fan base. It brings a different style of football. Uh, you know, uh, people have a, a romantic feeling about watching the service academies. So it's it's good for them, yeah. You know, it's like I said, it's much better than what they had last year. New Year's Eve bowl games. We'll, uh, we'll skip the playoff. The playoff games are New Year's Eve, but you've yeah. got LSU, Louisville, and Georgia Tech, Kentucky. Obviously, LSU, Louisville is the much more fun yeah, game to watch, game. but that's yeah, a good sure. game. Yeah, agreed. And then post New Year's Outback Bowl, Florida, Iowa, and uh, seems, does it seem to you that Florida and Iowa meet like once every two or three years in bowl games? And that it's usually it's usually a bowl in Florida. Yes. I feel like yes. Iowa travels to the state of Florida more than any yeah. other team that's not, you know, based in yeah. Florida. It, yeah, it's it's always a bowl in Florida and it's never the Orange Bowl. You know, it's always either the Outback Bowl or the Citrus Bowl or the Champ Sports Bowl or whatever, you know, like they they always seem to meet. Uh I mean, I feel like this is like the eighth time we've seen Florida and Iowa in the Outback Bowl. I could be wrong, but it it seems like a lot. It might be more. It it, I, it could I, be. I mean, it, it all, you know, it almost feels like whenever Florida's not in national title conversation, they meet Iowa in the Outback Bowl. Then you've got Western Michigan, Wisconsin, which I I want Wisconsin because I live here and my family has yeah. ties to the school. But if Western Michigan wins, that's a hell of a story. It would be. It would be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, uh, I'm curious to see if, if Fleck stays uh, you know, through the bowl game or, or even to next year. I, mean, I haven't heard his name connected with anybody yet, so maybe he stays and that gives them a, a better chance to win. I think if he goes, they probably won't have much of a chance. I mean, he said that he was going to stay. He didn't want to talk about it until after the conference right. title game. Well, the conference title game is coming past, and a lot of yeah. interesting jobs, Baylor. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, they're starting to get to get filled. And you haven't heard, you know, Purdue was a place that you heard a lot for him early in the year. Now his, you know, his star rose to the point where maybe he could get something better than Purdue, but how much really is out there? Uh, you know, Oregon is still open, um, but you know, a lot of the the high end jobs are getting getting filled now. Um, so I almost kind of wonder if he ends up staying for another year and and you know becomes the the Tom Herman of 2017. Yeah. Then you've got the Rose Bowl, USC, Penn State, and the Sugar Bowl, Auburn, Oklahoma. 
all good games. All good games. Good on game. The and I will say the Sugar Bowl does not excite me all that much because I just, at, like we talked about last week, I think the SEC is a one-team conference. Um, they did not deserve a second team in the New Year's games, but contractually they have to get one if the team goes to the playoff. And so we're left with eight and four Auburn, which has three quarterbacks, none of which are any good. Well, I shouldn't say that. Sean White's okay, um, but he's nothing special. The other two have been massive disappointments for what they were supposed to be. Uh, and Oklahoma has been playing. I, th- I think that could be a blowout. I mean, I, you know, Auburn's defense may keep a minute, but. They just they can't score, which is so unusual for a Gus Malzahn team. But it's it's two years in a row now where they just can't seem to to move the ball. Oklahoma with two players invited to the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, I'm not. I not hope excited neither of them wins. That. I don't think they will. Uh, to me, it's to me it's probably going to be Lamar Jackson, and I think Deshaun Watson's the only other one with a chance. Uh, you know. I'm curious. Michigan made that marketing push with Peppers, but what, yeah, know. getting invited to me should be enough because I don't really think he should have been invited. I mean, I'm going to sound like a Pac-12 homer, like you said, but Adoree Jackson had a better year than Jabril Peppers all around. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he should be a finalist if we're going to take somebody who's a defensive return, sometime offense guy. He's he's better. Oh yeah. You're, you're, you will get no argument from me. So, yeah. And, and then that brings us to the playoffs. Your one seed Alabama taking on Washington in the Peach Bowl and then Clemson, Ohio State in the Fiesta yeah. Bowl. So what do you think about the selection of the four? Were you on board with those four? Yes. I, I was as well. I am in on this. If they had, a, and I heard Mel Kuyper, I think it was, on the radio last weekend suggest that he would have expected Penn State to jump Washington. I would have lost my mind. Yeah, I just don't – I mean, I guess the biggest thing I thought as I listened to these discussions and heard people say, you know, well, it's it's not all about your number of losses. Well, it, maybe it should be. Uh, I mean, you know, when we, when we talk about the NFL, schedules are not equal. They're, you know, they're just not. You know, you, you play – you play a division in the other conference. You play a division in your conference, and you know they're not created equal. You know, Carolina last year is a great example. They went fifteen and one. They played the AFC South, which was awful. They played the NFC East, which was awful, and their own division was awful. So fourteen of their games were not really that tough, um, and they took advantage. But we didn't say, well, you know, their record not really what it should be. They're not going to get the one seed in the NFC because. The Seahawks played a tougher schedule. It wouldn't have made any sense. So, you know, I'm not saying that it should only matter how many games you lose, but it does matter. Washington lost one. Penn State lost two. To me, it's simple arithmetic. Washington had a better season. Yeah. I mean, I I know that you and I disagree on this. I would have been more okay with Penn State jumping Ohio State than them jumping Washington. Now, I'm, yeah. I'm fine with the rankings, and I don't think – Washington is a better team than Ohio State. No, but, I don't either. But they won their conference. And... They did. They did. Now, see, uh, you know, to me, I, I guess the first two years, you know, it, it happened to be that conference champions were the four best teams. Um, but it doesn't have to be, you know. And, and I guess the biggest thing I've kind of thought of as this process has gone along this year, in year three of it, is there's so many people who seem to only harp on one thing. And that thing should be the only thing that matters. Conference titles, head-to-head, uh, you know, number of losses, who you played out of conference. All those things should matter. 
I don't think we should just be looking at one thing and saying, well, that's the only thing we're going to look at, tunnel vision. We're not going to pay attention to anything else. All of it should matter. That's why we have this committee of people to weigh how important these things are each year. Because one year you may say, you know, conference champions, we're going to go with that. But this year you had an outlier. You had Ohio State go 11-1, and um, beat the Big 12 champions soundly on their home field, um, beat, you know, Michigan, who was a top 10 team, beat Wisconsin on the road, who was a top 10 team, lost Penn State on a blocked field goal, uh, you know, close game down to the wire on the road after the week after beating Wisconsin on the road. I don't think you should hold that against them. And I'm not an Ohio State fan by any means, but they deserve to be in as far as I can. I can't see any argument against. I I agree with you. I My point is more that if Penn State was going to jump somebody, I feel like in the the thing I lay my head on and, and the hill I'm going to die on is if you yeah. win your conference and you have one loss or fewer, you should probably be in. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of think so too. And, of course, with Penn State, they had two. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, James Franklin makes a compelling argument on the podium after the game and says, you know, well, you, you know, the committee says you can overcome early setbacks. That's true. But here was my thought on that. So are we going to reward Penn State for struggling early when Washington didn't? Washington didn't struggle early. Uh, so, you know, to say, well, Penn State played so well after their early struggles, Washington didn't have any early struggles. Well, they made it to, what, 9-0 and before they lost. So, Well, and uh, it goes even a step further. How, how far are you willing to take that? USC overcame their early struggles exactly. and beat the tar out of people. Exactly. USC was a, was a team I thought of. If we're going to go – with just who's playing best right now and ignore September and October, then USC should be in. Uh, I mean, you know, but you can't. I mean, the season is is the whole season. Um, you know, did Penn State, it's it's a heck of a story. It's a great job by James Franklin to rally that team when I mean they were they were sitting at two and two and and the ADs having to come out and give him a vote of confidence after they get blown out by Michigan. Uh, and you know, you're thinking they're going to be looking for a new coach, you know, and instead they end up winning the big 10. It's a heck of a run, but four teams were more deserving on another year. It might've been enough, you know, and, and if, if Washington had lost to Colorado or Clemson had lost to Virginia tech, which was a close game, it probably would have been enough, but it's not, you know, you, you only have four spots and, uh, that's just the, the nature of the beast. And uh, to me, once again, I think there's a clear dividing line between four and five, just like there was last year. So it, it only adds to my feeling that we don't need to expand this playoff. Four's enough. Now, let me ask you this, because I, I, I know that this is a poke the bear type of question. Okay. I saw, and I, if I could remember the website, I'd tell you, but I saw a report that suggested the BCS would have had the same top four, so why do we need a selection committee? Why don't we let the computer do it? <laughs> well, it might have. Um, but I still think we're better off with human beings. Uh, you know, I, I'm just not a big fan of a mathematical formula. You could, you could probably argue that all three years the BCS might have had the same top four. Not sure. I mean... The, the problem I had with the BCS wasn't so much the computer formula. It was the fact it was only two teams. I just didn't think that was enough. I think more years than not, it was too hard to determine the top two. You could a lot of times get the top one, but you couldn't decide between two, three, four. 
Um, and this, this addresses that. I just think having a committee of people is a better idea than having a formula. Um, they may end up with the same result nine times out of ten, but I just I prefer the human mind over a computer formula. And I agree. I just think it was an interesting little it's, yeah, thought experiment. I hadn't, I hadn't seen that. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, probably a lot of times it, it is going to be similar. Um, you know, I've, I've told you this from the jump. When this idea was created and this committee was formed and people got so worked up about who was on the committee, this is not rocket science. We're not trying to, you know, split the atom here. Picking the best four teams is not really that hard. There's maybe a pool of seven or eight at most that you're trying to pick the best four. So it, it's not that hard. And so, yeah, the formula might, of, might often be similar because, you know, it's not like the formula is going to spit out Notre Dame and Texas in the top four. Uh, no, I mean, it, it, there's only so many teams that could be considered. Unless that formula was based on whether the fan base thought they should always be right, in. Right, exactly, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just sometimes I, I – with this, with this whole thing, it's been kind of an eye-opener to me just, just how much people like to complain. And, and, and nobody can be satisfied, you know, I mean, I, even people that I, I like, and I like to listen to and, you know, or, or read, you know, that, oh, the, the system is so flawed. Well, what's so flawed about it? What, what is so wrong about it? We got four teams, they play it out. Uh, I mean, I, like, it just, it just feels like people want to be upset and I'm not sure there's that much to be upset about. Well, certainly people want to be upset. I, I don't know. I mean, I. And I know that runs contrary to how I used to be when we had the BCS and I, you know, but, but the more I see of this four team thing, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with the way they're selected. I don't think we need hard and fast rules. People keep talking about, you know, well, you gotta have that. No, we don't need a, we don't need a hard and fast only conference champions because again, you, you rule out a team like Ohio state who to me absolutely deserves to be in the top four they wouldn't have a, a chance under that rule. So that doesn't make sense. Well, or what um, if Vatek beat Clemson? Right, right. So very, yeah. I mean, so now you have to take that, either Vatek or Penn State. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that makes me very wary of doing anything with automatic bids for conference champions. I, I hear that when people propose eight, you know, we'll take the five conference champions. Well, I, I'm not sure that that's the right way to, what if Florida had upset Alabama? I know that's a big what if given how the game went, but but, you know, those things do happen. They've happened in the past. The, you know, number one team comes in, they're on a roll, and they get beat. You know, Oklahoma in 2003 is one I always remember. They were they were blowing everybody out, and they get beat soundly by Kansas State, who was like a you know, eight and three team. Are we going to take that team because they won one game? I, I, I don't think we should do that. I'm with you. You know, I mean, a lot of the conference title games, ha- you know, Washington or Colorado, I suppose you – you know, you could have made an argument for Colorado if they'd won. But, yeah, Virginia Tech's a great example. Like, I mean, yeah, nice season. But if they had won, would, would you want them in the playoff? They don't deserve that. No. No, I mean, and that's why you have to have some element of human And that's, yeah, and assessment. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with four. Um, I would be okay with eight under the one circumstance of having the top four teams host the first round. I think that would, I'd be okay with that because then there would be a, an incentive for being a top four team, you know, and it would make a difference. We'd have to determine who the better teams were, but I don't think we really need that. I'm okay with four. I mean, 
So if we had eight this year, Penn State would get in and Michigan would get in, and I, you could make a good argument for them. But who's your seven and eight? Yeah. USC? Uh, Wisconsin? I, like, I don't know. Who, who would it be? Colorado? I, I mean, uh, I mean, who, who was seven and eight in the rankings? I don't even know. Wisconsin, I think, was eight. Who was Oklahoma was seven, I think, right? Yeah, Wisconsin so, was eight. Oklahoma was seven. Do we really do we really need Oklahoma and Wisconsin in? I mean, and I, think and I know USC you like Wisconsin, but was USC I think USC nine. was nine. Yeah, so so let's say let's say probably let's be honest, they probably wouldn't put uh, four Big Ten teams in if it can't if we if we ranked eight, they probably would have picked USC over Wisconsin because mm-hmm. they both had three losses. You know, I like USC and I think they're playing really well, but they lost three games. Do we do we really want to water it down so much that three losses get you into a a, a tournament? I mean, that's that's a quarter of your season. Well, you can and, lose and, and still this, get back in. If if that's what you do, I th- if you go to eight, I think you have to say you have to pick the group of five team. You have yeah. to give that team a chance. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, you know, and this year that would make sense. But what if Western Michigan had lost? Then then who would you you know a three loss Temple. Maybe? <laughs> or, or Navy or San Diego State. I mean that. So yeah, this year you could say, well, I want that because Western Michigan's undefeated. But you're not always guaranteed an undefeated team from that group. In fact, this is the first year we've had one under the you know since since the realignment in the playoff. Boise wasn't undefeated, and neither was Houston. They had one loss. You know, not not bad years, obviously, but you know we're we were one Western Michigan upset away. If Ohio had gone down and scored a touchdown on that last drive from the group of five team probably would have been San Diego State. Like that's that's not that exciting. Yeah. So I'm, you know, the biggest thing I can take out of this is I'm not unhappy with the way it works. I, I and maybe that maybe I'm missing something because a lot of people seem to be unhappy. I just don't really see a reason to be unhappy. He's not unhappy. I'm not unhappy. Hopefully you're not unhappy listening to this. <laughs> we'll be back. We're going to talk about the bowl games in more depth as we get closer. We're going to follow up on more recruiting news, the coaching carousel, and we'll talk about ASU basketball, who just tonight did not allow 100 points in the blowout loss to Purdue. So, well, that's good. That's a step. <laughs> it was 97. Okay. <laughs> until well, then, <laughs> until next time, he's Matt. I'm Ben. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast.